0: This week, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. I'm not afraid to, to say whatever words come to come to my mind, and to be honest, I'm a passionate guy. The NFL star shares the lasting impact of his late mom. She took the positive out of anything. Is hey, I'm sick, but you're going to go be great because you're going to allow this to make you stronger, to make you tougher.
1: And he and his brother Tad open up about the death of brother Jace. Honestly,
0: a couple of days before my brother passed, I would say I started experiencing depression.
2: I failed them all. You know, I failed Dak, I failed Jace because I went there for him. And then more importantly, I failed my mom's memory because I didn't do what she's always asked me to do. I didn't keep her boys safe.
1: Plus, he tackles his highly scrutinized
0: contract situation. You want to get paid just like everybody else that, do, that does your job. Uh, it's the respect
1: aspect of it for me. All that and more right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. Tell about how bad your asthma was when you were a kid growing up. Yeah, it was bad. Um, I just remember
0: a lot of breathing treatments when I was younger. Um, I remember anything and from cats to face paint to peanut butter, all those things could trigger it as well. Uh, so there was a lot of times that I was, I was in the hospital uh, when I was younger, uh, for a month at one time, two weeks at times. And uh, it was all because of my asthma, uh, but I'm almost too much premature. Uh,
1: when, so, When you were in the
0: hospital for a month, what's going on? Um, I, th- I don't exactly remember, but I was in second grade. And I remember that it was uh, right around, it was December. I missed the Christmas party. I missed all the Christmas festivities. Uh, and obviously, as a kid, that's the best month of being in school, um, is being able to part, be a part of uh, your class at that time and I remember getting all the the uh, cards from my classroom while I was in the hospital, but I'm um, I i do not remember exactly what triggered it at that point, or if the just the asthma was just surfacing and uh, wasn't going well. But yeah, I remember a lot of breathing treatments. And... Uh, what were what all were
1: you allergic to, from what you remember?
0: So just growing up, I remember face paint was one of the the first ones. I want to say I was three or so when I went down the road with my brothers, got face painted and came back and uh, shoulders were high, I wasn't breathing well, ended up going to the hospital and stayed for some, probably about a week. Um, peanuts, um, I think it was more the salt and the oil that were in the peanuts uh, and strawberries for the most part.
1: How, how true is it that you were allergic to Pampers?
0: Uh, well see, at that time I don't remember so, uh, but I believe it, um, I was allergic to a lot of things. And, and explain how a
1: Chihuahua helped.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Ah, uh, so I guess my mom, being from Louisiana, uh, my mom and my dad, you hear all these these myths and these um, voodoo ways, I guess. But one of them was that a chihuahua would take the asthma from me um, and it would eventually get the asthma, have asthma attacks itself. And sure enough, um, we, got a, we got a chihuahua when I was younger, um, up until I guess I was about three, his name was Hachi. Um, and then we got another one later on when Hachi uh, passed, um, named Yoquero, after Yoquero Taco Bell. Uh, still one of my uh, favorite places to go. Um, but, and after after four or five years, my asthma would get better and the dogs would, they would start having breathing problems and start, I guess, having asthma attacks, if you want to say. Really? And yeah, I mean, I grew out of asthma around the age of 11 or 12 and never had any problems since.
1: How competitive were you and your brothers growing up?
0: I mean, so competitive for anything and everything you could compete on, we are doing it. Uh, especially being the youngest. Um, they're five or six years older than me, so I always had to prove myself. Uh, from seeing who could eat Oreos the fastest, to throwing the football down the football field, to just playing basketball, uh, whatever it was, it was always a competition. Sometimes it would see who could take the most pain, no matter what it was. Uh, and pain meaning what? I mean, you're talking about three young kids. Uh, Mom at work a lot of the times with Everything to do. Um, not being too dangerous, but um, whether it's playing the game with the the pencils on the knuckles, uh, whether me and one of my brother would would drop phones on our ribs to see who could take it. Uh, we I drop mean, phones on your ribs. Yeah, drop the like the big house phone at the time too. You know, real bulky, and drop it on our ribs and see who could take it. See how many we could take. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. It goes on and on
1: and how did the age gap impact you when it came to things like that it was tough uh
0: it was tough sometimes to to battle against them and, and to win but whether it was the crazy things in the house or playing football out there uh the times that i'd want to come home crying being upset my mom i'll never forget it uh would tell me don't go play uh if you don't want to play at the big dogs then stay on the porch and uh once she said that i was like i don't care what it takes i'm gonna go out there and, they can beat me up, they can make me cry, whatever it is, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna come back every, every single time.
1: Your grandma, I believe you should call uh, your guys' house the house for wayward boys. How much would your mom uh, kind of help kids in the neighborhood that were in trouble?
0: Um, anybody, any of our friends um, that, that came to the house and maybe had problems at home, my mom just always opened the door, um, just always told them that this was a, a safe haven, this was a place that they could come during the day, this is a place they could stay the night if they need to. Um, and not, not necessarily having much and being able to probably barely feed and, and provide for us three. Um, at times, there were three and four more other, uh, other of our friends in the house.
1: Yeah, How many of your friends would call your
0: mom, mom? Uh, I mean, we, we call them brothers now uh, because of that. And, I mean, three or four, maybe five of mine. Um, each brother had probably three plus friends that would call my mom, mom. Mom uh, Mama Prescott or... Mama P or just mom, I mean, whatever it was, um, because that's what she was to a lot of people.
1: Your brother, Ted, told me, because, you know, h- how many hours your mom worked, that she actually was a little concerned that uh, CPS, or Child Protective Services, could come for y- you and your brothers. Uh, what do you know about that? Uh, not much.
0: I mean, because my mom, you know, I mean, she had she had faith in my older brother, and he, he did his job. Um, but as I said, when you're... When you're at the house, dropping phones on ribs and playing crazy games, <laughs> when mom's at work for six hours, uh, I'm sure she was worried at times. Your mom
1: worked the graveyard shift for uh, a while. Uh, why did you uh, start taking her bedroom to sleep?
0: I mean, there was three bedrooms in the house, and yeah, I mean she was gone, so I didn't want to share bedrooms with my with either of the other brothers as I got older. So I was like, "Hey, mom goes to work. I'm just gonna go stay in her bedroom." Uh, then eventually, it became I moved my clothes in there and. Then my mom was my roommate at that point. So <laughs> yeah, better than the other two, so.
1: Why did you guys occasionally uh, sleep in a motel growing up?
0: Because of my mom. I mean, my mom did whatever it took for us to, to survive. And sometimes my mom didn't have the money for the electric bill, but she could get $40 or so to get a motel room. And it's just crazy because me and my brothers talk uh, brother talk about this all the time, just the perspective of, Most people would be upset, most people would be mad, but we saw it as a vacation. We saw it as a time to to go swimming and to get out of the house, and we'll figure it out because we have the mom that that we know she will, and we're behind her no matter what.
1: And you guys had no idea of the reason you were going at at the time, it just...
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I said my mom did a great job of just masking the adversity or masking uh, the struggle that we went through. Um, I think if you asked any of my brothers or any of us or friends, did we ever... Need, uh, never, never. Maybe there's sometimes, and we really never want it, to be honest. I mean, a lot of times we got that there's because that's how selfless and that's the person my mom was. Uh, but when I was younger, yeah, I had no idea it was a vacation. And then as I got older, um, obviously you discussed things and it made sense, right? It's easier for her to get $40 to, to put us in a motel tonight than it is to pay the, the $170, $200 bill because three boys were leaving all of her lights on.
1: It speaks to the quality of person that she was, that she shielded you guys from that and still was able to provide a great life for you. Um, I think after your parents split, uh, the the last time finances got really tight, what do you remember from the living room furniture then?
0: Uh, uh, that we had one TV that sat on another TV. Um, uh, that was our TV stand, the old big, big box one, and then we had a little one on top of that. Uh, I remember having the antenna antennas with the foil on the top, only watching Survivors. probably the only time I've ever watched Survivor. If it wasn't Survivor, if it wasn't a football game on, we're outside and trying to make stuff work. But once again, I mean, we just my mom just found found ways to make things work.
1: Um, you grew up in uh, uh, Houghton. Um, how would you describe what it was like there?
0: I mean, it was great. It was a great town. Um, I'd say very, very diverse, very mixed for the most part. Um, lived in the, grew up in the trailer park. Um, it's a place that, it's, it's who I am. I don't know any better way to describe it other than to say it's who I am. It's it's how I was, it's the reason I, I do things to today. It's the reason I see the good in everybody. And it was a lot of, it was, it was poverty in a sense. And as I said, when you had a mom like I did uh, and, and brothers like I did, and being the youngest of all of them, I didn't see it as a struggle. I just saw it as a way of life. Um, I was proud of where I live. I'm so proud of where I live now, uh, because if I didn't live there, if I wasn't around the people that I were, I wouldn't be the same person at all that I am today. Um, so for me to for me to say it was a struggle, I would be discrediting my mom and my brothers. Uh, it was my way of life, which I loved. I mean, we're always outside playing football with the kids in the, in the field, playing basketball. Um, it was my way of life.
1: And probably one of the best experiences 100%
0: 100% one of the best experiences um, I wish uh, more people could experience that honestly uh, maybe without having to go through some of the things I did but it's just a simple life uh, it's the simple life of love it's the simple life of of, of friends um, of being able to, 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 to trust somebody else to trust somebody else outside of your household and um, it was so much fun so much fun
1: tell about the makeshift football field that was behind where you lived
0: probably 30 yards across maybe another 35 uh, in length, but I mean, it was a full football field for us and that's where I fell in love with the game of football. That's where the game of football became who I am, um, being probably the youngest of the group of, of guys that was playing in that field where they're all my brother's age, uh, that was a lot of the times where I'd get hit or whatever and come home and want to cry and my mom said, hey, if you want to play at the big boys, if you know what I'm saying? Go out there and if not, stay on the porch and sure enough, I'm headed back out there. Um, but that field my brothers and all those those kids i grew up with uh gave me the toughness that i'll i'll never lose and then the high school i mean where where i watched my brothers from the time i was what 7 8 years old play football on the, for the varsity team and just couldn't wait for it was my turn to get there
1: one um, an offensive lineman one a defensive end right yes
0: yep. exactly and Um, As I said, they're they're the reason I have the toughness, but I remember going to their games, seven, eight years old, um, just itching, itching to play football because, hey, I play with them in the backyard. I want to go out there and play with them now. Uh, And so sitting right there on the 50-yard line with my mom for um, seven or so years before I got the opportunity to play, um, that's a place that I'll I'll never forget. So many memories made, so many friendships that last forever. an awesome place.
1: You're doubters over the years. Yeah. Your brother, Tad, told me that people your entire life pretty much said you would not be quarterback. For sure.
0: How so? I mean, when your older brothers are a defensive lineman and offensive lineman, uh, why in the world would the little brother be a quarterback? Uh, so when I, when I first initially started playing football, I was playing running back, linebacker. Uh, the coach's son was the quarterback. Uh, thank God the coach had to go take an insurance job um, because the other coach then moved me to quarterback uh, my sixth grade year of recreational ball. And then when I got into to high school, um, many years before that, I mean, the coaches that were coaching my brothers, the offensive coordinator, I uh, love, love him to death, and he's a great guy, great friend of mine. But for years, he said, oh, he won't be a quarterback. He won't, he won't be the quarterback of this team. And sure enough, I get to high school, catch a little growth spurt, um, and I start playing the ball, playing quarterback and throwing the ball well. And by my sophomore year, it was it was no doubt. What are you thinking when
1: people are telling you repeatedly you aren't going to be quarterback?
0: Laughing, because uh, they don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know my brothers. They don't know all the games that, that I played in the field uh, in Pine Creek Trailer Park. They don't know uh, who I am deep down. I just know every day when I wake up, even back then, I have the opportunity um, to prove myself. To prove myself every day uh, and really prove it to myself that...
1: Um, I can do whatever I want. But how, how when you're, especially when you're a kid, um, do you avoid letting your confidence or self-belief get beaten down in those situations?
0: I mean, it was probably because of so many games and basketball games and competitions with my brother. Uh, Watching them beat me for a week and then me coming back and winning one time or me winning two times, Uh, that's it, to be honest with you. I got my bike kicked by my brothers a lot of time and that just made me get better and better and better that I was able to eventually compete with them or, or do better and that just showed me hey hard work and persistence and resiliency goes a long 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 way so I uh, never let anybody tell you what you can or can't do uh, it's up to me and that's why I say I always have to give credit to my brothers and my mom for making sure that that I didn't listen to anybody else.
1: Uh, Coming out of high school when you're looking to play in college I think you send 25 uh, tapes out Uh, you're waiting for responses to come in what are you thinking at that point?
0: I wasn't thinking about it Um, once again maybe I just haven't done enough Um, I haven't showed them yet so uh, not that they're necessarily doubters but I've got to go prove myself Um, and that was just another motivation factor. That was just another chance for me to say, hey, you 25 people, whether you like me or don't like me, eventually you'll be upset that you didn't
1: accept this tape. And you grew up in a family of, I believe, rabid LSU fans, but your youth, I think you spent dreaming of playing for the Texas Longhorns. Um, what did those schools say?
0: Yeah, I mean, Texas didn't give me the time of the day, uh, especially at the time Texas was, was Texas. They were done recruiting by the time you were a junior, and if you weren't, that good by then, then, hey, sorry. So uh, they didn't give me the time of the day. Um, And then LSU, go to the camp going into my senior year. uh, They turned me off. Um, Go to another camp, I believe, again. Hey, you want to come play tight end? Uh, You're you're athletic, maybe we'll offer you as a tight end. No, I'm going to play quarterback. Um, And then I go into my senior year um, and have a really, really, really good year. And LSU tries to offer me at that point, but I'm already committed to Mississippi State. I wanted to be a man of my word. I grew up a Texas fan, so I didn't grow up an LSU fan. So it was even better at that time to to shut up all the LSU fans and kind of put it in their faces. I don't want to play for y'all. Uh, I want to come back and beat y'all. And for Texas, um, I bet they wish they would have thought about it now.
1: Well, Why do you think when it came time to the NFL draft, you ended up falling lower than you probably would have thought going into it?
0: I mean adversity. I had my own adversity um, going into the going into the draft, um, but other than that, I mean, it was just more doubters. Uh, to me, in my head, um, it was less about the trouble that I'd gotten in before the draft and more about, hey, these are just more people that don't think you can do it. And I don't care what team, don't care what round. I mean, obviously I would have liked to go earlier, but once, you, once you're sitting there and picks are passing, other quarterbacks are being picked, you just wanna, you just want to get your foot in the door to once again just show people who you are.
1: How did it affect you, if at all, at the time?
0: made my chip bigger on my shoulder. Uh, once once the Cowboys made that phone call, it was a lot of emotions of being upset that I didn't go before, uh, went away. Uh, because one, I grew up a Cowboys fan, so um, it was almost a dream come true, something I didn't think would happen. Uh, but not only that, this team believes in me. Uh, they believe in me enough just to, to, to give me a chance, and that's all I really need. Um, so. It was just like, hey, let's let's strap it up, let's get a full ball in the hand, let me, let me get to know my teammates and, and let's go.
1: And then you, you know, you're drafted by the Cowboys and your rookie year repeats basically the same story at every earlier stop when given the opportunity, you take advantage of it. Um, but prior to e- even taking the field in an NFL game, I believe it's August of your rookie year, your wide receiver, Des Bryant, uh, take me through the play and what you addressed with him that uh, apparently really impressed Cowboys coaches. It was
0: end pre- of preseason and we're going through situational uh, football. And at the time it was a situation where when you catch the ball, um, if there's 30 yards left, we need you to go down because if for some reason you trip going, trying to get into the end zone, the time runs out and we lose the game. So the situation is for you to catch the ball and go down immediately. Uh, and in practice, he catches it, and he tries to go score a touchdown, and um, it was simple just, hey, this is, this is, a, this is a mistake that will win us a game later or lose us a game if you do that again. So catch that, catch that go down. Uh, the kicker will come in. He'll do your job. You already did your job by catching that pass.
1: He's not the easiest guy to communicate with.
0: He was. I mean, when you get to know people and you know how to talk to people, there's not somebody that's easier or harder to communicate with, um, and that's something that's always been big for me is is to get to know my teammates, to get to know who they are, besides the Daz Bryant that the world knows, or besides number 88, besides the guy that throws up the X, but the guy that that has kids and 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 goes home to those kids and. Uh, the guy that loves to play video games, you got to get to know that side of people uh, that allow on the football field to use, for you to say whatever you want.
1: Even if subconsciously, is there a way going into a situation like that that you think about how to uh, address it with this person to get a positive outcome?
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to um, because some people want to be, some people you have to scream at them in front of other people almost. You can say, undress them with words uh, to get the best out of them. Some you have to pull to the side and and say it, and you have to know how people react or react to every situation. And uh, that's big for me to know my teammates, so so I have that opportunity to do that when it presents itself. And
1: and what's a situation where you know that in order to get the most effective response from somebody, you have to scream at them in front of everybody?
0: Uh, It just depends on the player. Um, That's all it depends on. Some players, when you pull them to the side and uh, you tell them something, Not that it doesn't resonate, but you know, it's just, okay, I got you, I got you. Or some other players, when you do it, now you've not only showed their mistake to the rest of the team, but now the rest of the team is gonna hold them accountable for what I said. Um, And then that's how some people react, where some people would say that it's embarrassing them. So you just
1: literally just have to know the teammate. All right, so give me an example of uh, blasting somebody in front of everybody. Or even if you don't wanna name the person, just like what you say.
0: Oh, I mean, it depends on what and he we did. And can bleep it. If, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what he did. Um, I'm not afraid to to say whatever words come to come to my mind. And to be honest, I'm a passionate guy. So if I undressed a guy with words, that was just what I felt I needed to do at, at that time. Um, and it wasn't something like, hey, I need to say death bomb or this or that to do it. It was just... This is what comes out and, and it was real. And so that's why my teammates can respect that.
1: When then starter Tony Romo gets injured, is out a projected two plus months, how quickly does the reality of what that means for you sink in?
0: Immediately. I've been in that situation um, going back to, to high school. Uh, the guy gets hurt, I have to go in and play. College, he gets hurt, I have to go in and play. Um, so at this moment, uh, I'm just going in and doing what the team asked me to do. I was once told when an opportunity presents itself, you don't ask why. You take it and you run with it. Um, so that's something that I've always tried to, to try to do.
1: How strange is that dynamic, even if both people have the best of intentions, knowing that both you and Tony want the same job?
0: It's tough, but it's football. Um, we, can, we can both want the same job all we want, but there's 10 to 50 other people counting on us to do our job, so whoever the person is to go in there he has a job now to help that man get ready. And if he doesn't, he's not letting me down. He's letting the whole team down because now his his job is to be that role. Um, So when I was a backup, it was the same way. I have to help help the starter out in whatever aspect that he needs it. And so the moment, just because I'm playing, we can have whatever personal relationship, good or bad, but this is for the team. It's much bigger than us
1: two individuals. So you go on a tear that entire rookie season. You have, I think, one bad game And after that bad game, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones comes out and publicly questions if Tony Romo Mm -hmm. should be starter again. And, I mean, to your credit, you said all the right things. But deep down, what are you thinking in, you know, those private moments? Uh,
0: Another doubter. Um, Whether he meant it intentionally or whether he was just trying to, to raise another man up. Um, it was just another doubter um, because I've done so much for this time and you're still questioning that. That's all right. But to give him a little bit of credit, he saw what Tony had done. Um, so I, I think of that as well. Um, so that's what allows me not to have any personal attention to a guy because I always try to see out of their eyes, see their perspective. But for me, it was just, hey, it's another doubter and I can't wait to, to uh, make you eat those words. Are you upset at the time? No, no, because... It's words. I've got the opportunity to go practice tomorrow. I've got the opportunity to go play in the game. Um, so I'd only be upset at myself if I didn't take advantage of it.
1: Your reaction to that speech Tony gave when publicly, con- you know, conceding the role to you.
0: I was impressed for one to come out and say what he said. Um, on a personal standpoint, um, especially because Tony was, Tony did exactly what I did at one point of time of taking the man's job of head of him because of an injury or because of. Um, because of this or that. So for it to come full circle and for him to say it with such class, uh, with a lot of humility, um, it was impressive.
1: Your reaction to Coach Garrett's firing?
0: I mean, he's somebody that I, that I respect dearly. Uh, he's a coach that uh, that makes sure that his players know he's, he believes in them. He gives them every opportunity to be the best they can. Um, so, I mean, it's not something that uh, I was necessarily a fan of, but it's a business. Um it was talked about before before he was ever fired in the middle of the year, so it wasn't like it was a surprise. Uh, but it's business.
1: Uh, you have the longtime Packers coach, Coach McCarthy, coming in, you know, taking over. He's revamping the offense, but as I understand, keeping the terminology the same. Explain the benefit of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, everything doesn't have to change. You're not forced, especially as a quarterback, to learn all these new, new um, different terms or this new this or this new that. Um, But we are changing some things up Uh, and you have to especially when you have a coach that that went to your uh, Division rival (laughs) so uh, things would be changed, but um, it gives that sense like what? Oh, You'd love for me to tell you huh? (laughs) Uh, I can't Um, but uh, It's just it's just kind of part of the game things have to always change things have to always adjust uh, For you to win and for you to
1: get better So how about changes that you've had to make just to adapt to a, a, a new coach?
0: Uh, well, this is my first time having a new coach, and I mean, obviously it's been unfortunate that we weren't been able to do this, the regular process of of OTAs in many camps, um, so it's hard to even say because it's not it's comparing apples and oranges right now, uh, but I'm excited for Coach McCarthy, I'm excited for um, what he's done, uh, for him to be able to bring that to here, to this organization, uh, with a talented team, with a lot of good players and good men, and to see what we can do.
1: You look at the past four years when you've been on a rookie deal, you've earned a little under $5 million. Russell Wilson, same period, uh, has earned something like $83 million. Um, To what extent do you think that if the numbers warrant, or the performance warrants, that uh, rookie contracts should be torn up when it's merited?
0: Uh, that's, that's, that's tough. That's tough for me to, to say that, um, to say that, yeah, you should just rip them up and, and give somebody a new one. Um, but sometimes th- that happens when you're with the sponsor, that happens when you're with the brand. Uh, so I'm not going to say it shouldn't be in discussion. Um, but I think that's an opportunity for a team to take advantage of it and the, the best aspect for them. Um, so when it's time for the person, uh, to be back up, it's okay. And, um, everything goes smooth. Why do you think there's so much intrigue
1: over your contract situation?
0: I mean, when you play for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, the publicity you get, everybody wants to to be in your business. Everybody wants to um, check check what you're doing. Uh, you live in a glass house. Uh, so regardless if it's contract or not, um, there's always talk. There's always negativity. There's always sometimes positivity. Uh, so that, that's a plus of it for me, because it allows me to have an amazing platform, uh, to be able to reach a lot of people when I want to, to be able to inspire, um, but it's just kind of the way it is. And um, it's annoying a lot of the times. What ticks you off the most uh, of, about all the talk? It's people that don't know me. Um, simple as that. Is it somebody that doesn't know me, um, thinking that their opinion actually matters uh, to not only me, but to the people that are making the decisions. And so, um, when, when players, not just me, have done what they've done or represent what they represent, um, it's hard for, for me to accept the people that have never been there or tried or even went for success in any aspect in life, football, away from football, um, to, to, to accept that and respect that.
1: Your perspective on why the, the long-term contract extensions taken longer than maybe you guys would have expected going into it?
0: Uh, not exactly sure. Uh, as I said, when when the players do what they're supposed to do on the field and what they the way they represent, you want to get paid just like everybody else that do, that does your job. Uh, it's the respect aspect of it for me. Um, so why it's taking this long is um, people want their want it done their way, and uh, I have a, an idea of how I want it done.
1: What do you think happens?
0: I think it gets done. Um, I think it gets done eventually. Uh, I think some some people on both sides are gonna have to. Uh, give and take, um, but we can do it in a very respectful manner and, and get it done the right way. What does eventually mean? <laughs> um, eventually means probably before I have a chance to leave this team. Okay. Uh, let's just say that. Um,
1: yeah. How, how does uh, Patrick Mahomes' recent contract, which has the potential to be a $500 million deal, how do you think that impacts your negotiations?
0: I don't think it does at all. I mean, you're talking about somebody that, in his first two years of playing, wins the MVP, wins the AFC Championship, the next year wins the Super Bowl, was the Super Bowl MVP. He's he's done this. Uh, I haven't I haven't done won the MVP, Super Bowl MVP, or Super Bowl or been as far as he is. So I mean, all the respect to him. So happy he's got that because uh, he deserves that. And, and and in my head, every penny of it uh, because he's a standard. He's a standard that anybody that plays this game wants to be, uh, because he's, in his first two years of playing as an MVP and Super Bowl MVP, so on, on two winning teams, uh, that, that's hard for anybody compared to in any position, so.
1: We were talking a little bit about this earlier, but when your parents split for the last time, uh, you, your brother was telling me, things got you know, challenging between your mom and dad, your football games, mom would sit on one end of the bleachers, dad at the other end. How tough was that for you at the time?
0: not something I necessarily noticed. Um, being the youngest, my family, not, I don't want to say hides, but shield you uh, from a lot of the things, from a lot of the adversities. Um, and maybe, you know what I'm saying, things are tough when, when your parents split, but as I knew that, I mean, it was always the perspective my mom had. And my mom never showed me um, any struggle or any, any tension. And my mom always allowed me to, to paint the picture of, of individuals for my own relationships. Uh, so. Once again, she did a great job. How do you think the split affected you? I'm not sure. I mean, it's allowed me to to be the man I am today. Uh, Got to spend a lot of time with my mom, just my mom. Uh, I was always a mama's boy though. But as I said, me and my dad had a great relationship. Uh, We always did. Um, Summertime, I'd go hang at his house for weeks. I mean, he'd pick me up for this, pick me up for that. Uh, My dad's the one that dropped me off uh, at college uh, because my mom said she wasn't gonna be able to do it. She wasn't (laughs) gonna be able to drive six hours back home. So I mean, um, as I said, my mom always allowed me to, to paint a picture as I wanted, uh, and me and my dad still to this day of a good relationship. Well,
1: and that's what your brother Tad said. Tad's like, you know, there was a period of time where I held a lot of resentment towards uh, my dad. And she's like, I didn't talk to him for a year and a half at one point, but that was never the way with, with Dak. Um, why do you think it was so different for you? I don't know if it's
0: because I was the youngest. Um, but people learn, right? Uh, you learn and, and maybe that's what my dad did. Maybe he learned from from things of my older brothers to, to do or not to do with me. Um, but as I said, I always um, see the good in people um, and try to, and try to take their perspective um, of why something may happen. So yeah, couldn't tell you what, couldn't tell you necessarily why one relationship was different than the other other than our, ours was okay.
1: Before your mom passed, your mom and dad reconciled. How important do you think that was?
0: Oh it was so important. I mean, my mom still to this, I mean, always said to that day that my dad was her best friend. Uh, and she had her three boys, which are her three proudest um, achievements, with him. Uh, so she wouldn't necessarily turn her back on him or want uh, me or my brothers to think a certain way of him because, uh, because of their friendship. Uh, and so, I mean, yeah, my dad took my mom to majority of my games when she was sick and uh, was, was that best friend that she needed through those times.
1: Your brother, when I was talking to him on the phone the other day, he's like, I- I've never said this out loud before, but after my mom passed, my dad was the glue that held the family together. Um, how so? It's awesome to hear him say that. Uh,
0: because my dad, I mean, like I said, his best friend was gone, right? So uh, he knew it was on him because pff, he would not want to piss my mom off. Uh, he knew it was on him to, to keep us together, to make sure that us boys stayed like that. And um, he did what his best friend asked him to do. Yeah, I mean, he's our father, and he made sure he was that. What about that uh, touches you? Uh, just that he's never said that. Uh, I didn't know that Tad necessarily felt that way. Um, and Tad being the older brother, he was the one that had to be the father figure. And so um, is that maybe why you can see maybe there's a resentment towards... Uh, my dad, from that end, because Tad had to do his job sometimes. Um, but to hear him, through their adversity, say that, um, it's touching.
1: How would you best explain the role that your dad played in your life? Just there when I
0: needed him. He's always just been, been a great friend. Uh, been a great friend, been somebody that no matter what happens, good or bad, he's going to think the best of me uh, and, and, and allow me to, to never look down or think bad about myself.
1: What about the role that your mom played?
0: In my life? There's not enough words or time that we can say. Um, as I said, being a mama's boy, uh, my number one best friend, the best coach I've ever had, uh, her expectations for me were, I'd say, the only ones that are higher than I have for myself in every aspect, from the football field to the classroom to treating other people. Uh, and that's why she left me with the word faith, um, is because I believe in myself, but she believed in me. and. Because she believes in me is the reason I'm able to do what I want to do every single day with a positive attitude. Explain
1: uh, what I think you'll st- you still do to this day in the Notes app on your phone.
0: Yeah, I mean, I write to my mom. Uh, and I don't know if that'll ever stop, uh, but I talk to my mom more than I ever write to my mom. Those are usually the big times. Those are usually um, a big football game, the start of something, um, a big moment for me. She's always with me. Um, yeah, and I try to make sure that when people see me, that they see uh, my mom's work. What will you say you're right? It depends, um, but usually it's, it's thank you. Usually it's uh, I love you, I miss you. Um, it's usually maybe something funny because she was so funny, but I make sure that she knows uh, how thankful I am because she believed in me and she's the reason I have the mindset and able to, to overcome any adversity or able to, To have fun and celebrate things that I need to is because of she believed in me and told me that I can do what I want.
1: And explain how big texting used to be between the two of you. Oh, I mean, all the
0: time, all the time. Uh, I don't know if there was an hour that went by when me and my mom were sharing text messages, whether it was her crying about a Lifetime movie to her asking me how practice was. And I'm telling her I threw an interception and she says, why are you throwing an interception at practice? Uh, because you're going to throw one in the games. Was she tough on you?
1: I I mean, in in a productive way.
0: Very tough. As I just said, my mom hated interceptions. My mom hated turnovers. Uh, My mom wouldn't allow me to mess up in school. Uh, But all of it was because she said the words, I mean, I trust you. Uh, And that was me and my mom's biggest thing was never lose that trust. So she gave me a leash. Um, and not necessarily a long leash, but she gave me a leash to, to go live, to go learn, to go make mistakes on my own. But it was always to, to, uh, to trust her, uh, and to never do something that, that would disappoint her. I would rather my mom every day of the week be mad at me than to ever be disappointed. Um, and just, that just shows what she meant and how tough on me she was. But uh, she believed in me. She believed in me like nobody else.
1: You mentioned earlier in our conversation about how she would shield you at times, and your brother Tad was telling me how he really didn't realize until the week before she passed that she could pass away. Um, wh- why do you think she kept the illness from you and your brothers for so long, and then even longer the severity of it?
0: Because, I mean, she wanted us to, to, to live our lives, and she wanted us to not necessarily worry about her. And then her initial there was, well, allow me to be your story. Uh, all greats have a story. And at the time, I'm like, I don't want a story. Um, but that's just how she thought about everything. She took the positive out of anything, is, hey, I'm sick, but you're gonna go be great because you're gonna allow this to make you stronger, to make you tougher. Uh, I remember when she lost her hair, uh, we all cut our, our hair off too, as well, with her. Um, but she didn't show physically, uh, just cause she didn't have any hair, she would never show the pain inside that she was feeling. But she was honest, and one time she texted and she was like, I wish I just didn't hurt for one day. Um, and so that's something that I, I keep in the back of my mind and in my heart because there's not anything I can go through personally um, that, that I think is bigger than that or um, would hurt more than that, uh, than my mom hurting. But that allowed, you know, w- when her time was to come for, for all of us and for me to think positive that uh, she's not hurting anymore. Um, and she doesn't have to hide that from us or shield that from us. Uh, she's with us at all times, but, but more importantly, she's at peace. Uh, because she did an amazing job with with the three boys she has.
1: Tad also mentioned the burden that the cancer had on Jace because he was with her, you know, day in, day out when she was going through all of that. Uh, What do you know about that? Yeah, I mean, all of us were mama boys.
0: Uh, But um, I remember when when initially she told me that uh, she had it, she was like, you're not coming home. Don't worry about that. You're not transferring to a school around here. You're staying out there where you want to be. But Jace at the time was finishing with school and uh, was home, was with her. And I mean, watched watched it. Uh, she couldn't necessarily hide it from Jace because he was there every day. He saw the times where she, she would have to spend probably 10 plus hours throwing up, this and that, and saw the medicine she had to take. And um, almost you can't even put into words the burden. Uh, I mean, it's something only Jace knew. Uh, And he didn't necessarily share that. And Jason never was really much of a talker. Um, So when something like that was a huge burden on him, uh, he didn't know how to share it. He didn't know how to to, to be vulnerable about it. How do you think it impacted him? Immensely. My mom was everything to all of us. Uh, And each boy would swear that they're my mom's favorite. Uh, But that just gives credit to her. So um, I know it did, Uh, but I could never tell you how much I wouldn't even want to try to measure it.
1: And then this off season, uh, Tad's fiance get, gets a call from Jace's longtime girlfriend with the news. Um, how, how did you find out what happened?
0: It's crazy. All throughout this, this quarantine and this off season, I started experiencing emotions I've never felt before. Um, anxiety for the main one. And then honestly, a couple of days before my brother past, I would say I started experiencing depression and to the point of I didn't want to work out anymore. I didn't know necessarily what I was going through uh, to to say the least Um, and hadn't been sleeping at all. Um, But for one reason, one night um, I slept the best I've slept, missing probably 10 plus calls from from Tad and giving my dad enough time to come in my bedroom and tell me what had happened. Um, And so I woke up, probably the best night of sleep I've ever had in 2020 uh, for the from the worst news uh, that some of the worst news I ever get what was your reaction Uh, I mean obviously tears and tears and tears but I mean I sat there and tried to to gather what had happened um, and wanted to ask why for so many reasons it was like the sense of of all these emotions coming off of my back and Wiped up my tears probably after crying for 30 minutes with my dad and my, uh, and, and my, my best friends who were all came to, you know, con, to console me and to be there.
1: Tad is the oldest of the Prescott brothers, the one who, years ago, watched out for his younger siblings when their mom was off at work. I'm reading this message and I don't believe
2: it. Like, I, I literally get up like it's an, like, oh my God, my brother just accidentally shot himself. You know, like, um, oh, he shot himself in the in the foot or he shot himself in here, and then I get the message, no, he he shot himself in the head. Getting to Dak's house, I, I just couldn't bring myself to go inside yet. Like, I just couldn't see Dak because I truly felt like, I felt like I'd fell both him and my mom because that was my, Because the last thing she told me was that it was my job and that I had been prepared my entire life to keep us together. And then after she passed, the, fir- the first words Jay said to me was, you have to be strong enough for all of us. And I really thought I was. Like, I really thought I was. So for for for, for him to be in so much pain or whatever it was that was going on and again me not to recognize it because i literally just saw my brother three days before it all happened and you know everything seemed fine and then so i get the message that that he's gone and it's like you know i just i failed them all you know i failed Dak, i failed jace because i went there for him and then more importantly i failed my mom's memory because I didn't do what she's
1: always asked me to do. I
2: didn't keep her boys safe.
1: But you know that's not your fault. You did everything you could if you'd known. Yeah, if,
2: if, but like I said, I still feel like I should have. Have you guys talked about that at all? No, no, not at all. Really, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think he and I have talked about it at all, really. So. That's probably something when I get home I need to, to do. When I don't know how each of us are processing it because again, I think it's still something in the back of our minds that we know is is real, but it's like there's no way this is real. You know, and the moment you the moment you talk about it, especially the moment you talk about it between he and I, it becomes real. You know, so I don't know if, if that's the way that we're both protecting each other
1: from it or whatever it is even before jace's death had plans to bring both his brothers to dallas losing jace only accelerated the process of relocating tad
0: i mean i told him you're not going back home you're coming i know my mom is what she would want uh so that was kind of my purpose of hey i want y'all to come to dallas right there's more opportunity here than where you are i want to be close to y'all again so i mean i'm just glad tad's, tad's been able to make that uh, and be here Uh, with me in Dallas. How would
1: you most like Jace to be remembered?
0: Big smile. The most athletic human being I've ever met. And anybody and everybody that knows him would agree. Uh, A crazy athlete, but such a big heart. Um, I'll never get another hug in my life like the ones he gave. I mean, he was my best friend. And as much as you want to ask why, as much as this, I mean, I know my brother. And as we said, he had a lot of burdens on him. He had a lot of tough things. And, and, and my sense of saying that is, it showed me of how vulnerable we have to be as humans, how open we have to be um, because our adversity, our struggles, what we go through um, is always gonna be too much for ourselves and maybe too much for even one or two people, but never, never too much um, for a community or never too much for, for, for the people and the family that you love. So we have to share
1: those things the million dollar pledge that you made and racism um before we even get into the the pledge i want to talk about your parents because your mom was white dad black 70s in the south how aware were you of how unhappy your mom's parents were with the relationship and how you know, all hell almost broke loose when they found out that she was pregnant.
0: I knew, I mean, I knew about it all. Her trying to run away from home at the time, to her coming back, to her uh, and my dad staying together. The racism really only changed in my family from the time that, um, or from my grandparents, is from the time that they held my oldest brother, and that they saw that this is from my mom, that this is a part of them, that this human being is no different than any other human being out there, uh, regardless of what he looks like and that i mean that that's that huge that she was able to educate us and tell us that at a young age and that hey it's still out there um and it's not going to necessarily
1: go anywhere until you can change it you once said about growing up in haughton and i'm kind of paraphrasing this quote here um i go to my white grandparents house and then i cross the railroad tracks and head out to my black grandma we have english teachers on my white side my grandpa's a principal and then you go to the other side and people have been in jail. What were you trying to explain there?
0: That I go back and forth and realize that there's no different in the individuals. Uh, There's no different in the people. Um, Some have had it harder, some struggle, uh, some have had more opportunity than the other. Um, And that's simply why when you cross the railroad tracks, it looks different Um, because honestly of the systemic racism and it's all about getting to know people for their heart. And I was blessed and so fortunate to be able to do that, uh, and have a mom that made sure I saw that.
1: Because you're biracial, the, your brother said you guys can see both sides, but at times it felt almost stuck in the middle.
0: Yeah. How so? Because we played both sides, that people almost saw it, felt like they saw it as unfair. Uh, or they saw it most of the times, I guess you can say fake. And so for us, it was always about trying to break that barrier um, on both sides and and show that we're all humans um, and we all struggle. And to, we realize today in this world, and a lot of people are being educated and understanding now that one side has had it way tougher because of, as I said, systemic racism and things that happened well before any of us on this that are walking this earth uh could change or could do at the time um but now we're the ones that have to suffer with it have to struggle with it um or on the other side we're the ones that need to have empathy for it um and to help so yeah i mean it was just because when you're you're able to play both sides um yeah it was it's a it's a weird dynamic
1: What made you decide to make the million dollar pledge to, uh, according to what you wrote, improve police training and address systemic racism through education and advocacy?
0: Yes, because where we are today isn't because of necessarily any of us unless we don't change. Unless we don't have the heart to see what is wrong is wrong. We're all humans, we all make mistakes. We all are able to love, we're all able to, to have empathy, but you have to be educated to have that. And that's, that's what I want to do, is educate people on the, on the empathy that we need to have for whatever it is. Uh, there's no reason that, as a biracial man, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, I still feel funny when a cop's behind me or turns on his lights, and- Really? Yes, because if that cop doesn't know me, and he has, very, he has other intentions, what makes me any different than anybody else. But the fact that he knows me, that may, right? And that's so unfair and that's so wrong, is I want these individuals that are policing and protecting our streets to do exactly that, and to do that by knowing the individuals in the communities that they're doing it in. Uh, so when I pledge this money, I pledge to, to start a program. Uh, and this is something that I want nationwide, um, with equitable standards and training and community service that before you're ever given a gun or a badge, or or maybe even before you ever complete your academy, um, that you're in your town or you're in your community, that you're gonna be protecting and serving so you know the individuals that you are, and and more importantly, they know you. We need more people with the right hearts to get into being a police, uh, to be police officers, and so they're not viewed wrongly, or they don't wanna do this job because they think that uh, they're a traitor or something.
1: What have you learned right here in Dallas needs help with?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, we have, my numbers aren't going to be exactly off the top of my head, but we have almost 3,000 officers with less than 1,500 of them that have body cams. I think they say almost 80% of our um, weapons and, and and things we use are out of, out of service or out of order, that they're duds, tasers are duds. Um, they're not able to, to feel comfortable, even as law enforcement, that if something was bad, to be able to use theirs. Um, and us as citizens, we can't feel safer, we can't feel comfortable when not every officer's wearing a body cam. Um, so those are just two that, to me, stand out bigger than ever that I plan to, to make a difference and help change here. And hopefully we can get Dallas to be a model uh, for the rest of the world, for the rest of the country.
1: After you win Pepsi's Rookie of the Year award, uh, what happens from there for you from a business perspective? Pepsi
0: became a sponsor, uh, them and other people. Um, and so from there, when you're a fourth-round guy and you're playing on the contract, it is. Uh, now you have an opportunity to make a little bit of money away from away from the game and away from what the team is obligated to pay you. I was able to move from my townhouse to a real house. Uh, really? So, yeah, so, I mean, it was huge. That's, that's a bit of a financial um, help that you— that, I gained and just say uh, it allowed me to live my life a little bit better. Just uh, be able to to be me, enjoy life, take care of some of my other family members and set me up for the position I am now.
1: How do you go about making decisions for how to build your portfolio of brands that you work with?
0: It's all about relationships. Uh, It's all about getting to know the people. I don't want to sponsor or be represented or um, partner with the brand that doesn't represent who I am and I don't represent who they are. Before any, any contract I've signed with any brand, I've had a dinner um, because I wanna know the face of these, of these brands and I wanna know the people that are making the decisions and why am I, why am I gonna partner with you or why, why do you want me to be a face or, or help you? Is it because I play for the Cowboys and throw touchdowns or is it because you really believe in who I am? So uh, I don't wanna just partner with somebody um, for us to high-five and, and make money together. What celebrations do you remember most? Uh, I mean, for me, every time I get in the end zone, it's a simple celebration. Uh, kiss my hand, point to the sky, uh, and, and thank my mom uh, and, and show and honor that moment. Because I wouldn't be here without her. I wouldn't be here for her, if it wasn't for everything that she taught me. Um, but when Thanksgiving Day was a couple of years ago, uh, Zeke put me in the Salvation Army bucket, uh, and I literally tried to stop him. Uh, but once he threw me in there, um, that was just fun. <laughs> it was uh, created, just created another great celebration for us to always remember.
1: The 2013 Egg Bowl, you uh, said you never felt love like that before. Uh, take me to that moment and what you recall. Yeah, the I mean stand, that was my standing ovation. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was my first time playing back at home after after my mom passed. Um, almost gives me chills now to think about it. Uh, Just the way the crowd stood up, the way the the roar was, uh, the cowbells, Uh, and to hear that love and that support is like 75,000 people just gave you a hug all at once. Um, And so for me, it was just an amazing moment um, just to go out there and to do what I love again um, and have peace on that field and eventually being able to score the touchdown in the first time for me to point to the sky to my mom.
1: Football is made for watching. Um, How about some of your favorite games you've watched over the years?
0: A lot of games. I mean, uh, there would be some watching my brothers play in high school, uh, whether it be uh, watching the Cowboys or um, watching this past. Super Bowl was a great game. I mean, it's, all, it's a little tough for me to watch games all the way through when I'm not playing. And I've never watched every Super Bowl all the way through, to be honest with you. Um, no? I mean, I've watched them as they started, kind of done some stuff and come back. But as i said it's hard for me to to watch a, a game that i'm not playing in live all the way through especially now that i've been playing in the nfl to just from the tv copy uh to see it the way that i want to see it but um
1: yeah who were you the biggest fan of growing up
0: the dallas cowboys
1: yeah how about a player
0: um ray lewis or and or peyton manning and peyton manning just for his his preparation he was just so ahead of everybody playing Chess when they're playing checkers, uh, and Ray Lewis was no different. But for me, it was the passion that he played with, and the excitement that he always played with, and always brought the game. Um, Two individuals that uh, I look up to when when I get inside or
1: when I think about the game of football uh, for forever. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my chat with Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. To check out our muddy ATV ride and his touchdown pass to me on his new backyard football field go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger, and you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.